Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, October 19th. We begin with our monthly conversation with Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. This time out, the Chief discusses the CPS's plans to address the ongoing issue of violence in the city and the service's newly launched pilot project with the Alex Community Health Centre. Have Bank of Canada interest rates helped slow soaring inflation and what can we expect in the coming months? We tackle the topic with Bill Robson, CEO of the C.D. Howe Institute. Flu shots are now available in the province. Pharmacist Amin Kanji of the Medicine Shop joins us to talk about the upcoming flu season and why you should roll up your sleeve this fall. And finally, it's Small Business Week. We hear the success story of a local restaurant that launched during the pandemic and has grown to win a handful of awards in the city over the past couple of years. Each month, we have the opportunity to check in and chat with Calgary Police Chief Mark Neufeld, talking about some of the big issues facing our city, and Chief Neufeld joins us now. Good morning, Chief. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, Andy. Pleasure to chat with you. Um, Let's talk about the pressures that are on police right now. A lot of violence in the city, a lot of gun violence, and it certainly, I would say, is the number one thing that has people concerned. Are you hearing a lot of that from citizens? We do, for sure. I think we're sitting, uh, as of yesterday, with 113 shootings, uh, which, if you compare that to last year, I think we were sitting at 75, uh, and a total of 95 in 2021. So we're definitely very concerned about the level of gun violence in Calgary. Are you? I know you're fairly steadfast, and obviously this is something that is important to you and the CPS, but if, are, you, are you changing anything to help curb the uh, violence, or is it just a continuing process? Well, I think it's been a continuing process. We've adjusted through the year here, uh, Andy, actually, to make sure that our resources were coordinated uh, right across the service. In, in uh, We're sort of pointing all guns, if you will, toward gun violence here in the city. And I think uh, we're still focused here with the prevention piece, with education and youth and community engagement. The intervention around offender management for folks that are, might be out on bail or that are in the community. And interdiction when we get uh, intelligence about maybe something that's going on or somebody who's got guns. And then after the fact, which I would say is too late, we'd like to prevent these things where we could. But after the fact, we're focused on the investigation and the enforcement. And recently, a number of uh, significant arrests and seizures, which I think will be helpful. And importantly, it's not always a charge in relation to a specific shooting, but other serious charges that might be in relation to possession of guns or other contraband, which will definitely impact the shooting situation in a positive way. Chief, when it comes to guns, when it comes to contraband, when it comes to the shootings, do we have a gang problem in Calgary? Well, surprisingly, Sue, uh, one of the issues that we've seen is the number of shootings that we can attribute directly to gang violence in the city is actually down from what we've seen in the past when we've seen elevated numbers. So we've probably got about 25% or a quarter of the shootings that we can say for sure are linked to either gangs or organized crime in the conventional sense. And the other 75% are, I would say, they're targeted, but they are not what we have seen, at least not in these numbers in the past, which makes it hard um, to sort of figure out, you know, what, what might happen next or what might happen as a result of this one. So that's, I think that's been probably the biggest change is the, the higher proportion of, of shootings that have been linked to things like, you know, road rage or just a dispute between a couple of people. I think I, I spoke previously about uh, one incident where there was an argument in a multi um, dwelling there or an apartment building there where there was a shots fired over a dispute over the laundry machines. That's crazy. That like it sounds wild. like, you know, well, it sounds like fake news, but it's not fake news. That's the problem here. <laughs> it's um, not fake news. Let's talk about uh, something that came down last week and a unique relationship between the Calgary Police Service and the Alex Community Health Centre. Uh, if you can explain in, in Cole's notes what it is about and why it's important for you and the organization to be part of it. 
Sure. Yeah. So this is a, something we've been working on for a while, but COVID made it really difficult. But really, it's around call diversion. Uh, so moving some of the calls that are non-emergency calls um, that have been coming to police for a number of years and moving it on to uh, non-police crisis response. So really what we're looking at doing is expanding the crisis response model here in Calgary to include a non-police response where that's appropriate. Um, so basically, it's dispatching teams of two support workers that would go out. Uh, initially, sworn members will support this group. It's going to be a 12-month pilot project. It's going to occur specifically in, in District 4, so kind of the Forest Lawn uh, area in the southeast. And uh, so we'll be dispatching calls right through Calgary 911 and 211 to crisis response workers who are not police officers who will go out uh, in appropriate circumstances. Great idea. I love that. I think we, we need more of that. That's a great start for sure. Uh, let's talk about this because this BOLO list just came out. The, the, we've got two Calgary fugitives now on the BOLO program, the 25 most wanted list across Canada, and some reward money being offered. How important is that sort of thing in, in getting the word out and helping track down these these bad guys? Well, I think any, any um, uh, sort of... Um you know, attention we can bring to fugitives who are having a hard time locating is helpful. And obviously, if there's the motivation of money, that tends to uh, also, uh, you know, prompt some calls. Um, but I think we've seen a couple of people who uh, are on the list there who have been um, negatively impacting public safety here in Calgary. And they have been probably fled the jurisdiction. And the BOLO program has actually been very helpful in the past in terms of surfacing those folks wherever they may be. So we can bring them back to Calgary to answer for their, uh, their deeds. I want to ask you about the change in seasons, Chief. I'm not going to ask you if you like pumpkin spice, but, uh, you know, in, in the winter, we talk about cold start. In the summer, we talk about different opportunities for criminals and things that you see differently from your vantage point. How about heading into the fall? Are there a change in crime trends as the weather starts to cool down? Yeah, there tends to be. We usually see a bit of an abatement or a bit of a uh, like crime sort of level off uh, a little bit. Summertime tends to be our busiest time. So usually when fall comes around and the weather gets a bit colder, uh, we do see some dropping numbers. But I think some of the big things that we do see uh, potentially going up, and, and we've talked about it in the past on your show, is auto theft. And, of course, it makes sense, right, because people have frosted windows, and so they're going out in the morning and warming up their vehicles. And if they're leaving those vehicles either insecure or even with the doors locked but uh, and you have a spare key, it just takes thieves just a minute to take those vehicles. And we've seen a number of videos from, you know, sort of doorbell cams and that type of thing and how quickly that can happen. And oftentimes those vehicles are then used for sort of secondary criminal activity, whether they be robberies or break and enters or whatever. And so uh, it just would really encourage people where it comes to that to just be mindful that uh, our auto theft numbers tend to go up as the weather gets colder and it's completely preventable. I think it's a good reminder, too, you talk about the doorbell cams, and it's happening in all the communities. I mean, I live way up in the north, and we didn't used to see a whole lot, but it's it's, it's everywhere. It's a crime of opportunity, right? Um, let's talk about Halloween, Chief, before we let you go, because obviously it's just around the corner. Any, uh, any tips and tricks that we need to do to keep the kids safe and just make sure that uh, everything goes off without a hitch? Well, you know, I think actually this year probably will, things will be back closer to normal, especially if the weather sort of holds out the way that it is. But, uh, you know, in the past there, last couple of years, there's been some curtailment of Halloween there due to COVID. But uh, likely if we if it's like everything else, we should see the numbers uh, back up to where they have. So uh, we have the Partners for Safety program, which has run for probably, I think, 28 years here in Calgary, which is pretty special, I think. Uh, so police, fire, ambulance, bylaw, transit, uh, out in the communities, uh, patrolling sort of proactively just making sure that the young people are safe. But I think the big thing, as always, is uh, make sure that uh, the kids can see 
and can be seen, uh, dressed in bright colors. And then just make sure that for the drivers, just maybe slowing down that night, recognizing how many kids are out on foot. Mm-hmm. Great tips. And, of course, the parents will have to still tax the candy. That has nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> that that goes That's without not saying. a safety issue, yeah. uh, Andy, but... Well, it can be. <laughs> Chief, it can be. If the kids think it is, I'm going to have another 10 of those bars. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, uh, Chief. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Good talking to you. Have a great day. You too. Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. Will the Bank of Canada continue to raise interest rates to help slow inflation? And what does this mean for Canadians overall? With some insight this morning, we're joined by Bill Robson, Chief Executive Officer from the C.D. Howe Institute. Hi, Bill. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Would you say the interest rate hikes have had the desired effect and helped slow inflation down? Yes, I think they have. Uh, And it's not just the Bank of Canada that's doing it. The Fed is doing it. Uh, most important central bank in the world, and that's having an effect on the U.S. economy, and it's having effects outside the U.S. as well. We are also seeing central banks in other major economies uh, hiking rates. And so um, the Bank of Canada, what it's doing on its own, would certainly have an effect on Canada with all of them doing it together. Uh, Certainly our group, the Monetary Policy Council, with its recommendations uh, last week, and many of the forecasters uh, now do see inflation coming down. And uh, they think the Bank of Canada is likely to raise rates and probably should raise rates a tick more. Uh, but th- we're at kind of at the end of the cycle and possibly by this time next year, rates are coming down again. Mm. Besides that other additional tick, perhaps, which you say could help with the correction, anything else that the Bank of Canada could do or the government could do to, to bring things down? Well, the, there are certain things that governments can do uh, with taxes and uh, you know other other fixes that are directed at certain parts of the economy. Uh, I worry about that type of thing myself. Uh, I, I'm sure a lot of us would like to see tax relief on one or two items, but uh, there are some other things that if you look back to the 1970s when inflation was uh, uh, going up and up and up, and uh, uh, central bankers back then weren't co- that confident in their ability to control it, and so people started to look in all kinds of directions. They blamed unions, they blamed businesses, they, uh, you know, they blamed OPEC, and there was a lot of thrashing around, a lot of uh, things like the National Energy Program, for example, that was, you know, very largely about uh, giving a, a lot of Canadians lower energy prices. I'd rather not see us uh, focus too much on that. It's uh, central banks that caused this problem, and it's central banks that uh, should fix it and can fix it. Now, Bank of Canada, I think the the goal is a 2% inflation target, right? What are we at now? Is it 7, Bill? Yes, it's around 7, uh, the year-over-year rate. Um, it's not normally that interesting, and when inflation was around 2% uh, all the time, nobody paid attention to it. But when you're looking at the year-over-year rate, you're actually getting uh, a number that tells you what was happening six months ago. You know, the sort of center of gravity of that uh, 7% rate is six months ago. Uh, and many people are now looking at some of the numbers, the monthly numbers, and saying maybe there's a sign it's turning over. In the short run, uh, gasoline prices matter a whole lot, uh, both to the CPI and also to how people are feeling about inflation, some other things that are really in your face, like grocery prices. Um, I'm, uh, I hope that they're right. I mean, you know, once inflation builds momentum, uh, it can be uh, hard to slow down. Um, but I go back to what I said earlier, the central bank tightening that's happened so far. It's a long way. We were at 0.25 for a while, and now we're up, uh, uh, you know, three percentage points above that. That's a lot of tightening, and I think it's having an effect. Having an effect and, you know, hopefully uh, correcting things. But when we talk about the interest rates uh, hikes to do so, 
it's not a one-size-fits-all when it comes to the impact. So can you talk about, you know, which sectors of, of, of society are impacted more by these hikes than others and others not really feeling it at all? Usually, and again, you know, we go back in history a little way to see this type of effect because with inflation so stable for so long and interest rates not moving very much, we don't have much recent experience of it. But what you usually see affected uh, very early on is interest rate sensitive consumer spending uh, like cars and especially the housing sector. Uh, one of the sort of warning flags and one of the reasons that people thought we might be close to the top of the interest rate cycle, but we're not there yet, is because housing starts are still very strong. Uh, you Mortgage rates are going up. People are beginning to feel the pinch. It'll affect more people as rates reset. Interesting, though, that housing starts have stayed as strong as they have. So that's one of the reasons why people are saying uh, we're not quite seeing the effect that we would expect to see on the leading edge here. And maybe the other thing that I should just mention in response to your question, because it is such an international thing, is that uh, we should see some softening of demand for our exports as well as the U.S. slows down, as Europe slows down, which it's already done. Uh, so uh, those would be the areas I'd highlight as the, sort of on the leading edge of the downturn. And would you say those are maybe, you know, some of the thoughts from coming from the C.D. Howe Institute, the Monetary Policy Council, recommendations in, in terms of what they're looking at moving forward? Well, what they're saying is that they do think the Bank of Canada should follow through on the guidance it gave last time. It was, you know, when they when they raised the overnight rate to three and a quarter, they said uh, that they thought it should go higher. And it's a reasonable question to say, well, if you thought it should be higher, why wouldn't you just do it? Um, I think maybe the bank uh, uh, thought I don't I, I can't speak for them, but it's reasonable to think that they were giving a bit of guidance, thinking that might do a little bit of the work for them. Uh, what's happened since then? Mortgage rates, uh, some other uh, things, and some other interest rates in the market are reflecting the expectation that the bank is going to move. So a lot of the members of the Monetary Policy Council said, "Okay, uh, that's kind of baked in already, so do it." Uh, but uh, whether they saw the peak at 375 or 4, uh, they seemed pretty confident that that would be the point, that would be the turning point. We'd be seeing inflation come down. And it's interesting how many forecasters have it getting back down to 2%. Uh, not by the end of next year. It'll take a little longer than that, that 12-month lag in the CPI number that I talked about. But by the end of 2024, a lot of people see it back to 2%, which is what the bank also says. Interesting discussion and super timely. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for your time, Bill. My pleasure. That is Bill Robinson, CEO of the C.D. Howe Institute. A little later this morning, hopefully, well, in the next maybe 20 minutes, it looks like before 7 a.m. our time, we'll have the latest numbers when it comes to stats, Ken, and that inflation mark for September. Again, at that 7%, expecting to see it a little lower. Although, does it, are we splitting hairs when you might be down a percentage or two point and you still can't even... You know, buy steak because you're thinking, you know, I'm not going to buy the heavy cuts. I'm just going to buy hamburger. I'm wait, looking for these meat cuts or whatever it might be in the grocery store. Do you feel like it's the grocery prices or the interest rates that are having the most effect right now? That's why I put the question to Bill. Like for yeah. me, I locked in on my mortgage a few years ago. It's not moving anywhere. Yep. I do have a, a personal line of credit uh, that, you know, with my car, I've noticed that bump up a bit. Yep. But it depends on what world you're in. Maybe you're all locked in. Maybe you own your home. Maybe you don't have any line of credit mm-hmm. or anything. Oh, percentage. lucky you if you do. Um, but I, I think that the common denominator would be gas and the grocery store. Gas yeah. is different. But, I mean, inflation-wise, yeah, if you need to buy anything, it's more expensive than it was, uh, you know, 12, 24 months ago. 
He is our in-house pharmacist, and he comes by the radio station every year to make sure that we all get our flu shots. Ahead of what's expected to be a nasty flu season this year, we're saying good morning to pharmacist Amin Kanji of the Medicine Shop. Hi, Amin. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good, good morning. Uh, we're always grateful that you come in because you're like a... We don't even have to go to the drive-thru for, uh, you know, our, our flu shot. You just pop in here, you help us all out. Is this supposed to be a nasty flu season? It is supposed to be a nasty flu season. I think based on what we're seeing from the Australian experience, uh, this year's flu is supposed to be much worse. And I think probably what's happened also in the last few years is a lot of uh, people haven't had the flu shot. So the immunity has somehow waned. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with now people sort of interacting, getting together again, uh, mingling, going back to work, I think we're expecting to see this to be a, a worse flu season than before. And I mean, I think that we've we've had more. I've had more shots in the past three years than I have my entire life, <laughs> I swear. More than when I was an infant. That was a lot you're, of shots. You're talking about vaccines. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but how, yeah, well, I just, just thought shot. I'd clarify that. I give a shot once in a while, Stampede too. was crazy, yeah. too, when it came to the shots. <laughs> but um, I think there might be a lot of confusion around, you know, if I had a COVID shot last month, can I still have my flu shot? And if there's a time period and... Could I get a booster at the same time I get my flu shot? Absolutely, yeah. So the only the only um, criteria that we look at is to see when you had your last booster. Um, uh, and so if you think about when you had your last booster or when you had your last COVID infection, uh, the recommendation from Alberta Health Services is five months. So five months spacing between the two, either a COVID infection or your last dose of mm-hmm. Pfizer-Moderna vaccine. But if it's been more than five months and you're going in for your flu shot and you're eligible for the booster dose, you might as well get the booster dose or the new, I guess, the new Moderna, mm-hmm. Pfizer uh, variant doses. Is that available to us already? So Moderna is available. Okay. Uh, Pfizer will be available as of October 24th. Okay. Mm. And so when people say, though, well, I don't want to mix all that stuff in my body, it really, it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter, no. I think uh, initially there were some precautions as to spacing of dosing. Uh, but I think as we've learned more about the vaccines and how our body interacts or uh, acts to the vaccine, um, the recommendations are now if you're going in and we have the patient sitting in a chair in front of us, we might as well give them what we can. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that uh, every vaccine is different. After I have the flu vaccine, what can I expect? Are there any after effects that I should expect? So typically not. I mean, keep in mind that, we you know, they do change the um, the flu vaccine every year, and that's why we have to wait every year to get a new flu vaccine based on uh, the genetic mutation of the flu virus. So sometimes, you know, one strain may be more potent than the other one. So again, we always say, you know what, be careful. You may react to the vaccine. You may have sort of mild fever Obviously, arm's going to be sore, but if I'm doing your vaccine, arm's probably not going to be sore. He gives um, a, a hurtless shot. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, but I think those are the, the common things to expect. Um, you know, mild fever, perhaps feeling a little fluish for a day or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but just make sure you're healthy when you're going in for your shots. So you know that you've got probably the best, um, you know, sort of immune system when you get your vaccine. And it's it's men feel the effects more than women, right? It's like the man flu, right? Like if if I if I'm a baby afterward and I need my wife to take care of me, that's normal, right? That's absolutely normal. Okay, good. I can even write you a note. If we okay, all know ahead. it's super normal. Uh, quickly, just before we let you go, uh, people say they get the flu from the flu shot. Not possible, is it? Not true. They're probably not well going into getting the flu shot. Mm-hmm. So if they're feeling a little bit uh, under the weather, are immunocompromised, or uh, not quite well, uh, just perhaps maybe wait a day or a few days or a week before you get your flu shot. 
uh, but that's typically not true. Okay. And the medicine shop uh, that you're the pharmacist and owner at, what's your address? Uh, number 70-1935-37th Street Southwest, and that's in Killarney. Perfect. We have our own in-house pharmacist. We do. Amin Kanji. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. It's no secret that the restaurant business can be very challenging for any entrepreneur. And, of course, the pandemic made things even more difficult for those in the industry. Maria Hunter knows the story well. She's the manager and a co-owner of Fuji Ramen and Sushi, a restaurant which actually launched during the pandemic. Good morning to you, Maria. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good, good. Fuji Ramen and Sushi, tell us how the concept came to life. Uh, you know, how was this born? And it was decided you were going to launch Fuji Ramen and Sushi. Well, we wanted to open the restaurant um, March of 2020, but then that's when COVID had um, hit uh, the Calgary scene and restaurants were closing. So um, we had no choice but to um, pull through and keep positive and follow all the restrictions and give good service and good food. (laughs) <laughs> Maria, it is small business week. So, I mean, you know, what? had you sort of been in a small business before? Or did you come from outside the industry? Why did you decide this? Restaurant is, uh, hospitality is um, our second business. Our first business, uh, we own a machine shop, oil and gas. So it's totally different to us. And, uh, you know, we learned, we actually uh, learned throughout the two years of um, the pandemic of growing a restaurant and being successful at it. <laughs> So you you made it through the pandemic, and I I know because I love what you do there, and I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the ramen. But uh, I know what you do there, and I love it. You've got some fans, but as far as challenges, just because the pandemic's over, there are new challenges. We hear all about inflation and rising costs. So tell us about the the current challenges of a business. Owner. Yes, the current challenges, uh, especially um, for the food cost and the um, like supplies, as you know, takeout containers, and then uh, yeah, for the first one is obviously food, um, our produce, and um, our our fish and stuff like that has, has gone up. So it's uh, it's been a challenge. Um, some staffing too also. Um, it's been hard to find some some workers to work. Um, but yeah, I do have loyal loyal staff and um, they've, been, they've been awesome. For a small business owner that might be listening or someone thinking going into that world, how, how do you keep a staff loyal? What is it that you do to try and and I, I, is it create that sort of family experience within? Absolutely, absolutely. I am there every day. My staff has become, I, I would like to say, my family. You got to keep them happy. You got to work with them. You know, lady boss has to work with them. If you visit my restaurant, you'll see me there working alongside with my servers. And sometimes I'm in the back doing dish and um, maybe cooking some stuff for, for everyone. <laughs> Being quick and nimble, Maria, and thinking on your feet, I, I, I think back to like the beginning of the pandemic here. I, I, I'm just putting it in my perspective. I'm going to open this restaurant. These are the tables, the tablecloths or whatever. You mm-hmm. get all that planned and obviously the menu. Mm-hmm. But then you had to learn all about delivery apps and, uh, you know, yes. uh, curb pickup. And now you've got the in-house diners more so yeah. and maybe less delivery. So tell us about that change and, and how often you have to read and study the latest apps, for example. Yeah, no, like it's it's every day is is is, is, a, is a challenge um, because people are coming out to dine in now. We are, you know, um, trying to get used to a full dine-in in the evening especially. So, you know, the the skip the dishes app or whatever we do have to just turn it off just because of, of the demand in the dine-in um they are priority and um yeah it's just a learning curve for for us uh, it's still a learning curve for us 
Maria, you had a great reception to your new business. Here's a chance for you to brag about your place. You <laughs> recently won some awards. Tell us about it. Yeah, so the first year we were nominated and voted um, Best Japanese and uh, Best in Burb Southeast. And also for 2022, we were nominated um, for 2023, um, but we don't get to know until next year of March. Ooh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> do, do the awards matter or does it just? are you just happy when the restaurant's full? Um, people do come because um, they search us, search us up on the internet. Um, they they Google best ramen and we pop up there. And um, our Google reviews are um, quite high. We're at a four point eight um, rating, so that's what um, make people come and they read the reviews and they're like, "Yeah, this is a great place. It's like a hidden gem in the south." Love it. Ramen's such a big thing right now. It's super trendy because it's so delicious. So congratulations and <laughs> glad you. that you made it through the pandemic and are just continuing to thrive. And thanks for talking to us on this Small Business Week. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Maria Hunter, Fuji Ramen and Sushi down on McLeod Trail. FujiRamenAndSushi.com if you want to find out more about them. And you can go spicy. That's what Can I'm... you? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you like it hot. And I like it hot. They have The sushi's fantastic. But what I did was I, I I remember ramen, just trying it bits and pieces, different restaurants. But for me, ramen was out of a package for years. <laughs> I think for a lot and, of people. And then this bowl full of goodness that has like everything in it. And then the more I, I look online, people are always, where's the best ramen? Where like the foodies have come out in full force, all four corners of the city. Mm-hmm. And we've got so many great opportunities to try different food. And a, a tip of the hat to Fuji Ramen and Sushi. Again, small business week. We've got you covered all week long.